You're listening to the Beauty Brain Show, where real scientists answer your beauty questions. And now, here's Randy and Perry. I'm Randy Schuler, and I'm here with my partner, Perry Romanowski, and you are indeed listening to the Beauty Brains Podcast. If you prefer text, you can also read a transcript at thebeautybrains.com. And of course, as always, you can watch the live video stream of the showgram on our YouTube channel. So, Perry, what's going on? Video feeds? Oh, well, we do have a transcript. Technically, we don't have the video feed yet. I'm hoping someday we have that. I mean, right, right now on our YouTube channel, all that it, uh, it shows is reruns of the 1966 Spider-Man cartoon. But hopefully <laughs> eventually we'll get was a very cool there. cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, before we get to that chit-chat that I know is all bottled up inside you, let me just mention what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to answer a question about why everyone is not using AHAs. We're going to explain the difference between ALS and SLS, a little Ooh. alphabet soup question. And then we're going to talk about whether or not silkworm cocoons are good for your skin. Well, that sounds like a great show. I can't wait to listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you have to participate as well. Hey, you know, just to get to some of that inane chatter, I actually do have some <laughs> beauty-related uh, thing. I'm going today, I'm doing a, a science fair um, oh. out at one of the local... Uh, I don't know, the, the local grade schools, and uh, me and my partner are going to be demonstrating how to make uh, lotions right uh, right in front of the kids right there. Oh, excellent. So uh, the, the banishing dry skin from 11-year-olds, good for you. Exactly. We're trying to get more beauty consumers out there. It's uh, <laughs> this, this school does a celebration of Pi Day because, you know, we're recording this today on Pi Day. Right. 314. Actually... Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but I have memorized all the digits of pi. I, I, That's quite a feat. Yeah, just just not in order. Just so. <laughs> could it, hey, uh, control room, could you have a rim shot in here, please, <laughs> for the chemistry humor? Remember when we used to have sound effects? We loved those. <laughs> <laughs> was never a big fan of the sound effects. Hey, but you know what? Actually, speaking of sound effects now, I'm very excited. So for our next segment, you know, when we go to Beauty Science News, you always ask me to, to cue the music. That oh, we yeah, play, yeah, right? sure. Well, uh, today we're going to do something we've never done before on the show. Um, one of our listeners actually composed a custom piece of music for us to use for this segment. Really? Wow. Yeah, seriously. So th this comes to us from Amanda. So I'll do the, the cue up, and then I'll play the new Beauty Science News introduction. All right, ready? Here we go. Sure. It's time for Beauty Science News. <laughs> wow, that was great. <laughs> I hey, you know we have made it as professional podcasters when people are sending us their own compositions to play on the show. I think that's awesome. Absolutely. Well, All right. so well thank you, Amanda. Perry, you want to take uh, the first story? Sure. Uh, today's story that caught my eye was a story published in uh, Cosmetics Business, and it talks about some research done by our Procter & Gamble, and specifically their Olay brand, mm -hmm. and the genetics uh, company 23andMe. Uh, hmm. 23andMe is the company where you, uh, you send them a swab of your cheeks or oh, whatever, and right. they tell you your ancestry or something. Yeah, I have heard about that. So what they did is that they we're looking at whether genetic factors have more of an influence on beauty 
or whether it's external factors. Oh, interesting. Now, Nature or nurture? Exactly. Now, the research was sponsored by Olay, so you can imagine what their <laughs> conclusions were. <laughs> Maybe so, some external products might help. Okay. Right. So they had uh, 155,000 participants take place in this study. And of those 155,000, um, they had just under 11,000 participants claimed that they were often told that their skin looked 10 or more years younger than their biological age. Okay. <laughs> so you see this, this high quality research going yes. on here. Yeah. But what they found was that the women who reported that their uh, skin, that they were told their skin looked younger, they almost always used sunscreen, and okay. they also almost always had, or they also had a positive attitudes about themselves. And so, if you wear sunscreen and you have a positive attitude about yourself, you're more likely to look younger. Uh, than if you didn't have those things. But wait, how, would, wouldn't they just have a positive attitude? Couldn't, isn't it possible that the positive attitude was a result of people telling them they looked younger because they wear sunscreen? So is there, if there's a cause and effect here that I'm not quite sure they've sussed out. Well, I think this, this points to uh, the, the difference between scientific research and claim support research, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> because... Yes, you could you could uh, advance the narrative that you're saying that, that or you could reasonably advance the narrative that Olay is saying which in, essentially says if you take care of your skin uh, with sunscreen and you have a positive outlook uh, you can overcome any sort of genetic uh, defects that would make you your skin look worse very good that's unsurprising I guess. <laughs> Still not convinced, but interesting story nonetheless. Um, speaking of interesting stories, you know, we are routinely criticized for not being in touch with the latest beauty trends. But not yeah. today, my friend. Not today. Here's That's a story. because you're wearing a mask right now? <laughs> what? what? I'm like, I'm, as in bank robbing? What do you mean? No, no, you're just demonstrating you're out of touch. Masks are the, all the rage right now, like oh, beauty masks. Oh, I see. Facial product masks. Sorry. Yeah. Pardon me. Or it could have been a superhero costume mask. I, half the time, <laughs> I don't understand what you are alluding to. At least we know which of the beauty brains is out of touch with the hot trends in beauty. <laughs> well, I'm about to change that right now because I'm going to tell you about the newest, most exciting thing in cosmetics, and that is ear makeup. <laughs> now who's out really? of touch, mister? So, uh, yeah, apparently some trendy Instagrammers are posting pictures of themselves where they apply a, a dab of glitter or a, a spot of color or a streak of color on their earlobes. Uh, uh, Violet is apparently one of the most popular Instagrammers doing this. Now, it's, it's interesting because this uh, isn't an area of the body that's been used much for cosmetics, uh, but now it's quite the rage. And these women, right now at least, are just repurposing other makeup and applying it to their ears. But you know, it's only a matter of time before some savvy cosmetic manufacturer catches on and starts to create makeup specifically designed for the ears. So I predict we will see, oh, maybe MAC uh, launch a line of ear shadow <laughs> or ear... You mean, uh, wait, it's, it's MAC. Yeah, whatever. Ear <laughs> shadow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or ear gloss to light up your lobes. Uh, now, you know, I'm looking ahead. I'm a futurist, just as you are. Sure. And I, I see that this is going to create a new problem 
which is makeup residue on ear jewelry. So inevitably, right. your earrings are going to get gunked up with all this stuff. So you'll need a special product to clean the makeup from your earrings. Well, I've created that product, and I call it Earring Aid. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> Earring Aid. Yeah. Earring. <laughs> That's good. Well, you know, we here at the Beauty Brains are always trying to find ways to uh, raise some funds to keep this show going, <laughs> and maybe your new product is the way to do it, Randy. <laughs> well, send your money to Perry's Instagram account or however that works. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Well, that's enough with news and gossip. Why don't we get on to today's cosmetic questions? All right. Here's the first question, and it comes to us from Melissa in New York. Hi, Randy and Perry. This is Melissa in New York. A few years ago, I was struggling with adult acne, and I stumbled upon a night cream with glycolic acid. After using it for a few weeks, I noticed that my skin was actually much brighter, clearer, and softer. After doing some research, I learned how alpha-hydroxy acids work, and now I'm even hoping it will prevent wrinkles. I've been using this product for several years, and I still love it, but I worry that maybe it's too good to be true? Are there any risks associated with AHAs like glycolic acid? Why aren't we all using them? Thanks. Well, thanks, Melissa. You know, longtime fans of the show will remember that I love getting questions about alpha-hydroxy acids because it gives me an excuse to retell the story of the marketing director for St. Ives who didn't quite get the acronym, and instead of calling them (laughs) AHAs, she would call them AHAs. (laughs) <laughs> and, and that always amused me during meetings because it sounded like she was speaking in exclamation marks. We need to launch a new aha. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I was in those meetings. Yeah, very, very entertaining. <laughs> Indeed. But why don't we talk about what AHAs are and how they work sure. so we can answer Melissa's question. Um, so alpha hydroxy acids are a class of chemical that is used to loosen dead skin cells. Now, they consist of long chain of uh, hydrocarbons, a carbon and hydrogen atoms, and also a carboxylic acid group at the end, and that's just a, a carbon with two oxygens attached. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're naming carbon chains, we start by labeling the carbon next to that carboxylate group. Uh, we call that the alpha carbon, and then the next carbon is the beta carbon and so forth. So in this case, the carboxylate is on the first carbon, so this is an alpha-hydroxy acid. Uh, Salicylic acid, for example, has the group on the second carbon, so that's considered a beta-hydroxy acid. Hearing you do uh, cosmetic nomenclatures is only slightly less boring than having you do math on the podcast, just in my (laughs) opinion, anyway. Uh, You know, that, that... Seriously, that that, um, that naming convention also works for omega fatty acids. Remember back in episode 41, we talked about those. So uh, omega sort of looks like the Greek uh, alphabet for a W, or yeah. the Greek W looks like... The, <laughs> the Greek omega looks like a W is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so, But same naming principle. Right. Now, the acids work by softening the glue that holds the skin cells together, so the dead ones are going to fall off more easily. When this happens, the the basal layer is triggered to produce fresh skin cells, and this is referred to as increasing your cell turnover. So if you strip off those dead skin cells on the outer layers, 
that sort of stimulates the lower layers to start producing more skin cells. Yeah, which is exactly why these, these AHAs are so beneficial. There are a couple of different types you can use. The two most common are glycolic and lactic. Glycolic is the smallest one. It can be actually be derived from sugar cane, but I think most of the time it's produced synthetically. Lactic acid is uh, sometimes called milk acid because it can be derived from sour dairy products, and it can also be made from fermented vegetables and fruit. One of the uh, less popular AHAs is actually one of my favorite acids. Uh, I just like to say it, tartaric acid. <laughs> tartaric. It comes from wine there. I don't know why I think um, that's so funny, but... <laughs> Other runners-up include citric and maleic acid. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another that's technically uh, a PHA or a polyhydroxy acid, and that's a uh, lactobionic mm -hmm. acid. I love that TV show in the 70s, uh, the lactobionic. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually pretty funny. So interesting. According to research published in the Journal of Cosmetic Dermatology, lactobionic acid is not only more effective than glycolic acid at improving the cell turnover, but it's also less irritating. An international team from London, Serbia, and Slovenia tested both AHAs in a cream and a gel. 26 volunteers used the products twice a day for two weeks, so that's how they did the study. Mm -hmm. And the researchers found that lactobionic acids scored better in both forms, even though their data indicated the gel worked a bit better than the cream form for whatever reason. Mm. Well, that actually, that study sort of helps address Melissa's next question when she asked if there are any risks associated with using AHAs, and the answer is yes, there are. You know, some people can't tolerate their effects, and they experience redness and irritation because you are, you know, you're interacting with the upper layers of the skin. It's particularly bad for people who have rosacea because you've already got skin that's red and sensitive. So yeah. if you're using these products too frequently or perhaps using products that have a higher concentration of the AHAs, you know, that'll make the problem even worse. Now, a potentially even bigger issue is that if you really misuse AHAs, they can increase the danger of UV exposure. So the, the sort of fresh skin underneath that you're exposing, you're not properly protecting it, uh, can even you know, be damaged more by radiation from the sun. This was determined by a study done by the um, European Commission on Scientific Affairs. So yeah, if you're, if you're using these things improperly, using them too often, using too uh, powerful of a, a strength, uh, then they can be an issue. For most people though, AHAs are perfectly fine. Yeah. Now you might be wondering, if they were so good and they're safe for most people, why isn't everybody using them? <laughs> Great question. First of all, everyone's skin is different and not everyone responds well to AHAs to the same degree, right? Mm -hmm. Some people, you know, especially if they're prone to conditions like rosacea, yeah. are likely to see redness and irritation to an extent that can overwhelm the benefits that they might be receiving. Yeah, so even if the product's working, if it's so painful for you to use it, you're not going to have good compliance, so you're going you're yeah. gonna to drop it. Yeah, it reminds me of like if you, you can probably improve your skin if you take duct tape and put it on and rip it off, but it's going to hurt like hell, right? Beauty tips from Perry Romanowski. <laughs> the same... <laughs> Now, other people have also dabbled with AHA products, but perhaps they didn't choose one with a high level of actives, and they were disappointed in the results, so that's kind of why they abandoned those. Yeah, right? because this is another one of those ingredients that, you know, cosmetic companies will throw into all sorts of products, and just because it's yeah. got AHA, you know, in the marketing, you know, 
promotional materials, it doesn't mean it's using the right one at the right level and the right kind of product. So you may have thought, oh, well, I tried AHAs in the past and they didn't work for me, but you may just not have really had the most efficacious version of, of, you know, of the ingredient. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, there are a lot of people like yourselves who have picked up a good product and their skin has responded well and they're left wondering, why isn't everyone <laughs> using this? <laughs> well, I, I think, so, yeah, I, th- I think there's another factor here, which is just the, the marketing behind the beauty industry, because you, you think about it, you know, the beauty industry wants to sell you more products and more expensive products. And they're going to do that, at least in part, by enticing you with the latest and greatest technology. You know, we're also bombarded with information on all these new product launches that sound so amazing. You know, sometimes it's hard to focus on the basics that really work. And, you know, companies may think it's harder to sell old technologies like AHAs because they've been around forever. You know, when they can hype the latest and greatest ingredient like, you know, algae extract or whatever is the hot and sexy ingredient of the month. So when you're reading beauty magazines or looking at advertising or reading products on the shelf, it's easy to sort of get lost in all, you know, the wave of newness and lose track of the basics that you really could go back to and probably get, you know, good, if not better results. Yeah, the beauty company, uh, the beauty industry has to produce new products all the time. Right. Like every year you need a new product, but technology doesn't change that Not fast. Not that fast, yeah, exactly. So exactly. The, that's, you know, so Melissa, that's probably a combination of those factors. And, you know, you keep doing what you're doing with the AHAs if it's working for you. And maybe some other people will listen to this and, and catch on. All right, Perry, we've got another question. This one comes to us from our longtime fan, Alessandra, who asks, which is more harsh, SLS versus ALS versus SLES versus ALES. <laughs> wow, that, we really love our acronyms here in the cosmetic industry, don't we? <laughs> it's, I, I think me doing spelling of ingredients is worse than you doing math of ingredients. I don't know. <laughs> so let's decode this alphabet soup here. Most people know that SLS stands for sodium lauryl sulfate. Right. Now, they might not know what that is, but... They, yeah, they've they heard the know. ingredient name, sure. Right. Now... You may not know that ALS is ammonium lauryl sulfate. Mm-hmm. When you see an E added to those letters, uh, that just uh, it just means sodium or ammonium, and then the word laureth sulfate. So sodium laureth sulfate and sodium oh, or and ammonium laureth sulfate. Well, you can barely keep that straight. How do we expect our audience to? <laughs> Um, Indeed. <laughs> this is one that you're going to go read the transcript on. You're going to really need to <laughs> understand this. So, yeah, that, that E uh, or the, the F part, that's short for ethoxylation, which essentially means that you're extending the molecule by inserting some oxygen atoms. That's the simple explanation. Now, why would you do this? Because the ethoxylation process makes the detergent, which these ingredients are all detergents, by the way. They're all cleansing agents. Um, it makes the detergent milder and a little less powerful as a cleanser. And that's essentially because you're making the, um, the ingredient more water-soluble, so it rinses away more easily. So, uh, so the bottom line to that part is that the sodium lauryl and ammonium lauryl sulfates are going to be harsher than the sodium lauryl and ammonium lauryl versions. Got it? Yeah, exactly. Now... We get to the question of the sodium versus the ammonium versions of these things. Right. 
to tell you the truth, there's not really much different. It's the lauryl sulfate part. That's the that's the detergent molecule, and that's the part that does everything. Mm-hmm. The ammonium and the sodium is, is just the counter ion uh, made during the manufacturing process, but it really doesn't have much impact on things like foaming and harshness and, yeah. and, and all the other reasons that you use uh, these detergents. You know one big difference, though, it does make. I, I would yeah. direct you to read one of my patents, which talks about this very same issue. And we found that um, at for clear shampoos that are made with SLS, so the sodium version, at very low temperatures, those shampoos get cloudy because they start to freeze up. But if you make the right. same shampoo and you use the ammonium version, you can keep um, better low temperature clarity. Ah. So You know, I, I, I always wondered, though, why our big competitors... Uh, you know, Helen Curtis right, at the time sure. and P&G, they always went with the ammonium yeah. versions. Um, and our manufacturing people never wanted to do the ammonium versions because the, during manufacture, the negative of using the ammonium is that it can uh, uh, start causing rust on your it, stainless yeah, steel Yeah, it could uh, be. Apparently, yeah, there's some reaction where the, if the pH is low enough, you can your pH is high enough, I guess. I don't remember. Anyway, you can get a, a problem with uh, stainless steel corrosion. So. Right. But... That's sort of inside baseball from a consumer standpoint. There's not really much yeah, difference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Alessandra pointed out that several brands like Organics and Lenore Grail uh, advertise their shampoos are SLES-free, but they use ALS as the first ingredient. <laughs> so, so now you know that's a little misleading, right? Just because they're saying it's, it's SLS or SLES-free doesn't mean it's, there's really going to be any difference in terms of functionality to your hair or skin. Well, that reminds me of that brand that recently got in trouble. I think it was the Honest Company where they said they were uh, laurel sulfate-free, but they were using cochlear sulfate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is which uh, <laughs> it's just it's a little complicated but cocoa sulfate is made up of mostly laurel right, sulfate exactly so anyway uh, all right you want to take the next question sure uh becky in our forum incidentally we do have beauty brains forum which uh randy frequently visits i try <laughs> And uh, if you have questions there, we have people in there uh, talking beauty and, and uh, having questions. And so some of the stuff we talk about on the show comes from the forum. But you can go there, thebeautybrains.com slash bbforum. And uh, it's free to join and, and talk. So this question comes from Becky in the forum. She says, I've read a few articles about the collagen-promoting qualities of silkworm cocoons. Apparently, rubbing them on your face improves the texture of your skin. It improves signs of UV damage and all other, all those other impossibly amazing things. Mm-hmm. It sounds like another crazy gimmick, but I noticed this article published in the Daily Mail, uh, and they back it up with some pretty convincing words from a dermatologist. <laughs> is, is this another one of those shows where we're going to get hate mail from dermatologists? Because uh, <laughs> no. Becky's right. The, the quotes from this derm were pretty convincing. Um, you should go read the article for yourself. But the short version is the woman rubbed her face with these silkworm cocoons every day for about a month. And at the end of that time, her skin looked better. Well, I mean, this can't be really considered scientific evidence because, A, the test only involved one person. And, B, there was no control. She wasn't comparing the silkworm cocoons to anything else. So it's really meaningless. Right. Yeah, yeah. But 
you might be surprised to find there are some studies showing saracen, which is silk protein, it may have anti-aging properties under certain conditions. Mm -hmm. For example, one study showed that silk saracen uh, can stimulate collagen type 1 synthesis, suppresses the regulation of nitrite, which nitrite may induce oxidative stress. So this test was done by applying pure sericin directly to cultures of cells in the lab, which does not prove that rubbing the cocoons on the face are going to do anything. Well, no, it goes back to our three Kligman questions that you ask you know, about any anti-aging product, right? Is there a mechanism? And this says maybe there's a mechanism based on this cell culture study. But sure. does you know does it penetrate skin when applied from a cocoon? I mean they they didn't test that, um, and you know again there was no test on real people. That was just a test in, under lab conditions. So I, I'm still right. skeptical that you know that rubbing the cocoon is going to be a very efficient way of delivering delivering the saracen. Now the cocoons are sort of um, a little bit abrasive, so it could just be like a mild exfoliation, which can make your skin look better. So it could just yeah, be that yeah. you're rubbing it like if you rubbed your face with a sponge under the same conditions, you may get the same benefit. So I, I'm skeptical. I would say stick with the anti-aging products that are proven to help. Yeah, and, and don't harm any silkworms <laughs> in the yeah, creation no, of your products. No silkworms harmed in the creation of this podcast, that's for sure. All right. Uh, hey, Perry, let's do a quick shout out to our some of our listeners with some iTunes reviews. And in fact, today, it's an all-international edition of iTunes reviews. Wow. Yeah. Look, we really appreciate iTunes reviews. It helps uh, other people find the Beauty Brains and uh, helps more people experience the show that is the Beauty Brains. Uh, this first iTunes reviews comes from Twiddly D from Canada. She says, uh, as an esthetician, I can appreciate all the science behind products. Keep up the great work. And a. A, don't make fun of Canadian <laughs> accent. This is how you entice readers to, or listeners to leave comments? No, no. I don't Post your see. review. We'll make fun of you. <laughs> I thought you were going to do the next one from the person in the UK with the British accent. <laughs> Not going to happen. But uh, HRW London from the UK says, both informative and soothing listening. I wouldn't really have thought of us as soothing, but especially not today's show, but uh, lots of interesting facts and anecdote, anecdotes. Would love to hear a top 10 greatest ingredients show. That's a, that's a great that idea. We should like, do that. Yeah, good suggestion. Uh, Megan Munich from Germany says, excellent beauty advice. I really appreciate the scientific basis behind these beauty tips. Most of the information available these days is distributed by marketing teams and can be totally confusing. So true. And finally, Liv Dane from Latvia says, Funny, evidence-based, and informative. I used to think I was an informed and skeptical consumer, but in hindsight, I can appreciate the Dunning-Kruger effect on me at its best. The podcast revealed to me the whole new world of cosmetic chemistry in the amazingly geeky and entertaining way Randy and Perry deliver it. Now I can make the claim... Listening to the beauty brains minimizes the perceived feeling and appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I wonder if we could just brand that, right? <laughs> oh, I love that. Hey, use that in our marketing. That, uh, that made me think, though, seriously, we should do uh, a little piece on the show about the Dunning-Kruger effect. I know we don't, we don't have time today, so maybe, you know, think about that for a future episode. I think it's a great idea. You know, another, another great idea is come to our final question. <laughs> All right, go ahead. This one comes from, to us from Redhead for Trouble. Uh, she says, I've seen this picture floating around Facebook. It shows a hairspray 
it it shows a hairspray that can be labeled. Uh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Can, I was I was reading the word can as a verb instead of. <laughs> there you go. Oh, uh, it's it's the Grammar Girl podcast, everybody. <laughs> I've seen this picture floating around Facebook. It shows a hairspray can with the label torn off to reveal a different brand underneath. The caption says, "This is why you do not buy product from TJ Maxx, Ross, or Marshalls." Only buy from your stylist. That's it. I'm thinking this is probably just something salons are spreading so people will buy these products from them at a higher price. But what do you think? Today's show brought to you by TJ Maxx, Rush, and <laughs> Ross, and Marshalls. Uh, Wait, if it no. is, where's this money? Because I'm not seeing any. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm handling the finances. Uh, okay, so redheaded, uh, this isn't nearly as sinister as it appears. It's certainly not proof that TJ Maxx or these other companies uh, are selling counterfeit hairspray. Uh, and I'll, maybe I can put the picture in the show notes, but uh, my guess is what happened here is that the company had too many cans decorated of the blue product, which was the, the one underneath. So rather than destroy them and lose the value of aluminum cans, which, by the way, are quite expensive when it comes to the total value, you know, percentage of a value of the product. So instead, they just decided to relabel the cans and use them for another product. And that's what the red label is on top. Yeah, if it were TJ Maxx or any other third party labeling over one product with the label from another, then the ingredient listing would be wrong. Uh, as well as any of the other information, and that would be totally illegal. <laughs> right. I mean, how, how would this even work? Like, you would buy, like, TJ Maxx would buy some cheap hairspray and then put an ex- have labels printed up and then put an expensive salon label on top of the other, like, it doesn't even make sense. And in this case, when you look at the, um, the brands, the product name is different, but it's the same, it's products from the same company. So it's clearly coming from the same source. So it made no sense. Now, the funny thing is, after I had uh, seen this question in our forum and responded to it and decided we would talk about it on the show, I just stumbled across an article on Snopes that debunks this exact same issue. And not surprisingly, they came to the exact same conclusion that we did. And they had a spokesman from the company, from Chai, or is it Chai or Chi? I don't know how you pronounce it. Uh, but they responded and said, essentially, yes, it's the same thing. We had a problem with labeling. We didn't want to throw the cans away, so we just had them reused. So it's perfectly legitimate. This kind of thing goes on all the time. It is not any indication of counterfeiting by these fine retail outlets. Right. Uh, now, if you want to support your local salon and overpay for your beauty <laughs> products, um, cool. you should do Go that. But, <laughs> but don't feel bad about the quality of the products that you're getting from tj maxx ross or marshall's yeah this whole issue of target or walmart yeah this whole idea of diversion where you're getting a lesser quality product when you're buying it from a retailer versus the salon that's pure bs we have worked for the salon companies we understand the chains of distribution and it just doesn't work that way yeah and a lot of times the salon companies are the same companies that are making products for you know, your mass market. Right, right. Now, again, that's not to say that true counterfeit products don't exist. They do. But this Certainly. is this is just not an example of, of one of those. All right. All right. Well, we answered the heck out of that show, huh? <laughs> I like this going through. We're, we're getting a lot of people's questions in. Boom. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. 
And uh, I now I can get back to the book I was reading, oh, uh, the audio book. What's that? I, I wondered I was how you were going to try and bring closure to all this because you seemed completely lost there at the end. So I was, I was listening to a book about. Uh, it was called Einstein's Dice and Schrodinger's Cat. Oh, okay. Uh, and it was it was just sort of a, a scientific history. But what I did not realize that. Uh, in the physics world, after 1925, Einstein really didn't do anything of note, any kind of annoyed uh, physicists that were sort of advancing science. Oh. He came up with this brilliant – he was, like, brilliant before 1925, and then he was this uh, older older uh, physicist who didn't really add much to it. He was, you know you know how there's those, those, those scientists, those older guys who kind of just annoy the younger scientists? So Einstein old, jumped the shark circa 1925. <laughs> He jumped the circuit in 25 and then was fam- like vastly famous for another 25 years. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good gig if you can get it. Yeah, but I listened to that audiobook uh, through a book that I got on audible.com. Ah. And if you want to support the Beauty Brains uh, and, and you don't want us to go to the, the route where we get advertising on the show, <laughs> uh, you can go check out audible.com through our link. Uh, it's uh, the Beauty uh, It's beautybrains.audible.com. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, put it in the show notes. You can see, you see this is a, sorry. So uh, go through that link and you can get uh, a free 30-day trial of audible.com and and listen to books like uh, our own The Beauty Isle Insider or uh, the Einstein's Dice and Schrodinger Cat book and uh, improve your mind. Very good. Thanks. Perry Romanowski, reading science textbooks so you don't have to. All right, Perry, that uh, brings us to the end of the show. We will be back next month. Remember, everybody, we're on a monthly schedule now. But we'll come back and answer uh, more of your questions. And until then, remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) All right. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Hey there, there goes the Spider-Man.